and welcome everybody to regular season baseball. Opening day weekend is upon us, and of course, welcome back to the Diamond Duo Podcast. I am Tony Puglisi, joined by my co-host and co-producer Tom Bauer to recap the festivities that were opening weekend and what festivities might befall us once this week gets underway. Because Tom, I don't know about you, man, this was a fun opening weekend to watch. I know... We were talking before the show, you didn't watch a whole ton outside the Yankees and Mets. I'm not going to lie and say I didn't do the same, but I tell you, man, we saw some great, funny, and overall awesome things this weekend to kick things off. Yeah, we saw a wide range of emotions through certain people. We saw anger and, um, like, I don't want to say cannibalistic behavior, but just sheer, like, I'm going to hit you behavior, mainly because the Nationals hit the Mets so many times, and then the Mets wanted to hit the Nationals in another way, uh, aka they wanted to probably fight them, a la Starling Marte or Buck Showalter going uh, nuts the other night, rightfully so, though. Uh, we saw pure joy and happiness, especially in the Bronx. Josh Donaldson, on opening day, walked it off, his first walk-off in pinstripes. It took Aaron Judge like three or four years to do that. Get on his level, Aaron. We saw sadness from somewhere. I don't really know where, but there's got to be sadness because, uh, oh yeah, I know where. Yeah, the Guardians won like 17-3, to I think, yesterday <laughs> over the uh, Kansas City Royals, so there was probably some sadness there. I was just going to say there's like a bunch of other emotions as well, but due to time constraints, I'm not going to go over a whole emotion chart and correlate it to one specific moment throughout the opening day weekend. All I can say is it was grand, fantastic. Baseball is officially back now. I know we've been saying that for probably the past month, but uh, it, it feels good to actually see some meaningful game action. Absolutely. I mean, just going through spring training, you could kind of get a sense of, yes, baseball's back. The lockout didn't hinder the sport, but, you know, let, let's get to the regular season. Let's get to the games that count. Let's get to, you know, seeing Miggy and Pujols chase those records, get to seeing teams like the Blue Jays and Mets try to prove to us that their off-seasons weren't flukes. Uh, But trust me, we're going to talk about both those teams and then some. But before we get into that, two disclaimers. Numero uno, we are recording on Monday, April 11th uh, at about 12 noon, or a quarter to one, actually. I can't read time. I'm just not smart this morning. So anything that happens uh, after Monday the 11th will obviously not be covered because it hasn't happened yet. It feels weird thinking about that now after so much off-season, Tom. Like, in between editing, entire games are going to go by, so something we say, it's going to be like last year with September, so that'll be fun. But what are you going to do? That's what editor Tom and editor Tony are for. But (laughs) that's disclaimer numero unos, where we are recording on the 11th. And disclaimer numero dos, go follow us on social media. Not so much a disclaimer, more so a call to action, but we are the Diamond Duo Podcast on Instagram. We are at... Diamond Duo Pod on Twitter. Go follow us. Go like our stuff. We're going to be posting things all throughout the season. Audiograms, memes, news, thoughts, whatever. We're going to police ourselves to try and go harder on the social media this time around because this is going to be a damn fun season and we want to be here for the whole ride. So go like us on social media. You won't regret it. Now, getting right into the meat of things. Before we do talk about opening weekend, we do have a couple headlines to discuss. And as Tom eloquently put it on the rundown, extensions aplenty. Uh, We had quite a lot of extensions uh, this past week or so and uh, failed opportunities to extend players. We'll get to that. A headache in a minute. 
But uh, Tom, why don't you kick this off since you were the one who authored this segment of the rundown? Well, I guess I certainly will, Tony. So we're going to start things off with probably the biggest player that got an extension over the past week, and that was Jose Ramirez with a five-year, $124 million deal that essentially guarantees him $150 million with this year and next year's options included. So really, it's about eh, five, six, maybe seven years. I don't know. At $150 million. He also has a full no-trade clause, so that way he doesn't have to go play for mediocrity once Cleveland inevitably decides that he's going to be too much money to keep on the payroll. Speaking to that, I'm honestly surprised that Cleveland even offered this extension to him. We all thought he would be traded at the deadline, that Cleveland was going to go into this kind of rebuild mode, although I guess you could call it retooling at this rate because they're keeping their best players around, at least for now. We haven't seen so many extensions yet for players like Shane Bieber, Fran Mill Reyes, etc., and so forth. So I was honestly shocked that Cleveland actually did this, considering they spent next to nothing in free agency, but now we can actually say they made a meaningful move toward their future, um, not one that they necessarily did in the offseason, although technically may have still been the offseason, but at least we get a clear direction as to where Cleveland wants to go in the coming years, Tony. We definitely do, and now we know that that plan 100% involves Jose Ramirez, because Tom, I think I was in the same boat as you, as everybody. I didn't know where JRAM would get traded to, but you know Cleveland's tendencies. They are the Tampa Bay Rays of the Central, if you will. The second a player gets too expensive, the second they are priced out, they are shipped out of Cleveland. We saw it with Lindor. We saw it uh, years and years ago with guys like Cliff Lee. Yeah, no, I honestly think this is kind of a really, really, really good deal for Cleveland. Like, if you look at J-Ram's track record, dude has consistently been a top 10 player in the game. And if you look in the past, you know, two, three years, you could even argue top five with his five-tool prowess, so... I think Cleveland made out like bandits. I pray for Jose Ramirez's soul that Cleveland actually tries to win around him with that paltry offense, but we will have to wait and see. Uh, hey, speaking of paltry offense, and speaking of teams that don't <laughs> normally spend, did you guys know that the Pittsburgh Pirates have money? I mean, they could have fooled me with how, <laughs> let's say, infrequently they go to that pool of money, but they chose a player to finally, and I mean this, finally open the vaults for... Because a franchise contract was handed out not too long ago, and the lucky recipient of said money was a one key Brian Hayes, the franchise third baseman who has pretty much been crowned the next great Pirates hitter since he started tearing it up in the minors. Uh, unfortunately, injuries held him back last year, but the Pirates seemed to be willing to bank on him, and they offered him an eight-year, $70 million contract with a club option for that ninth year. Uh, the contract is also guaranteeing him $70 million out of the $70 million, so I read that completely uh, humorously. So, uh, Pittsburgh, with this contract, like I said, gives Kebrian Hayes the richest contract in team history. Now, what does Kebrian do to celebrate? <laughs> he, uh, I believe this was the first batter of the game against the Cardinals, or it might have been the second. It was the first inning. I know this for a fact. Lays out to catch a ball in foul territory and hurts his wrist. Now, I don't think this was the injury he had last year. I believe that was actually an ankle injury. 
But, and thankfully, like, we're not laughing at the guy's injury, and thankfully he's not hurt long-term. He actually was in the lineup yesterday, and he contributed greatly to the Pirates' win over the Cardinals. That sounds really weird to say. It just seems very funny to me. And Tom and I were joking about this. We were texting back and forth. Because Kibrian Hayes here perfectly exemplifies a pirate. Go figure, the Pittsburgh Pirates. The man got his plunder, he got his $70 million guaranteed, and now he's making off with it. He's hurt, now he has to ride the bench for the entirety of the contract, which granted, this was hours after the injury. We didn't know how severe it would be, or if it was going to be severe at all. Luckily, it was not severe at all. So, thankfully, he's not injured, and thankfully for the Pirates faithful, he's not just going to be siphoning money from them on the bench. Yeah, that is the case. Now, is it weird that, and I, this is true, I'm not making this up, I've been getting a lot of, like, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, like, stuff on my YouTube feed, and, like, like, on my, like, Google feed and all that, ever since we started texting back and forth about Cabrian Hayes and, like, this Pirates nonsense, that type of stuff has been popping up on my phone like crazy. I don't know why, and I am not lying. I'm not BSing anyone here. That has happened. I've probably watched at least, like, ten Pirates of the Caribbean clips on YouTube since that day, so... Shiver me timbers, I guess. Now I'm watching a lot of pirate content. Maybe I'll preemptively go into pirate jargon throughout the episode just to honor that. T- Tom is a pirate now. Yeah, yarg. Oh, Jesus, that was bad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've... Blooper but, folder. Um, yeah, blooper, blooper folder for sure. I'm not sure if I put in anything last week, so uh, that'll be uh, the first thing I put in this week. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, as as Tony alluded to, though, the Pirate got his gold. And, again, the largest contract in Pittsburgh's history. And it's also the largest guaranteed um, signing ever by a player with at least one year and less than two years of service time. That's not Fernando Tatis Jr., everybody. That is now Cabrian Hayes' title to take. But it's good, again, that Pittsburgh is trusting their young star to develop. It's kind of a win-win for both because of Cabrian Hayes suddenly, like, his career... Uh, let's say he gets shanghaied from Pittsburgh at some point, more pirate jargon, then he's going to make off with a nice bit of cash um, before his career inevitably would fall. Also, this would be good for Pittsburgh because, one, they barely spend money, so this is a good team-friendly deal, and two, if his value increases, that contract is going to stay, unless there's like tension between both sides to make a new one happen. It'll be a very cheap option, and that's kind of what we've seen with some of the young players throughout the most recent years. I mean, they, they showed it on the K-Rod cast. They were giving some examples yesterday. Ronald Acuna Jr.'s contract, I think, was like eight years, $110 million. That's looking like a bargain right now. The biggest bargain was Ozzy Albies' deal, which I think was like seven for $35 million. And then um, Wanda Franco's the lone exception, because I think he got like over like $300 million, if I'm not mistaken. But um, it's kind of like weird to see these young players with such little service time get these big deals. But ultimately, I think it's fair for both sides. Like, going forward, that's just kind of the economics of baseball with young superstars these days, is signing those types of deals. I mean, you always say, especially in sports, you have to invest in the future. If your farm system is completely barren of any and all talent, well, you're pretty much crippling yourself for a good decade if your GM isn't smart with, uh, you know, trades and maybe even some waiver picks. But I find it a very interesting trend. We've yet to see it it blow up in someone's face as of late. You know, we haven't seen, hey, this young guy's really good. Let's give him a f- ton of money. And then he never 
I don't want to say never plays for him again, but it hasn't disappointed in a sense, you know, like a Jason Bay with the Mets signing or a, a Josh Hamilton with the Angels signing. So it'll be really interesting to see how these contracts play out. Like you said, Tom, Acuna and Albies both need new agents after that, uh, after those contracts got dealt to them. But who knows? We'll see, obviously, if Cabrian Hayes will end up playing up to that contract. I frankly hope he does. He was one of my favorite prospects to watch uh, when he was just a full-time minor leaguer. Electric glove, great contact bat, good good wheels for a third baseman too we'll just have to wait and see speaking of good glove uh i'm just the king of the transitions in this segment uh one of the smaller extensions but still pretty notable uh seattle shortstop jp crawford received 51 million dollars over the course of the next five years with seattle uh i don't believe there are any kind of incentives or player options in this contract tom and i were not able to find them but you know exactly what you're getting with jp crawford you're getting a gold glove caliber glove over at short he actually is a one-time gold glover he won it over in 2020 i actually forgot he won a cold glove very league average hitter ops plus on his career currently sits at 94 uh however at the time of recording this uh he apparently feasted on his opening weekend series against the twins i actually didn't notice this in uh eight at bats he has a 375 padding average 545 obp and 500 slugging uh, J.P. Crawford's winning MVP right now, folks. Book it. No, I'm kidding, obviously. But <laughs> nice little extension for J.P. Crawford. Franchise defensive shortstop. Almost like a diet Jimmy Rollins, you know, with a worse bat. I really like this signing. I think it's pretty safe for Seattle. You kind of get that defensive-minded glove at a very defense-heavy position. So you don't have to worry about playing Glaber Torres at short. What? Who said that? But yeah, not much else to say here good deal. Yeah, JP Crawford, I'm not going to speak too much on this uh before we have to move into a player that didn't sign an extension. Uh you probably all know who that is at this rate. If not, then uh check the description and you'll surely know who it is by uh, the uh, timestamp. But um yeah, JP Crawford, great leader in the clubhouse, Seattle obviously investing a lot into their team recently and they want to keep JP Crawford around. He's a good guy to have in the dugout, kind of a guy who will uh do anything and anything he is asked of him to do, he will try his best to do it. And he's productive enough to uh, stay in Seattle for the next five seasons. So good for J.P. Crawford for finding a home for the uh, foreseeable future. Now, speaking of which, Aaron Judge doesn't have a home for the future beyond this uh, season because the Yankees and him did not come to terms of an extension um, with uh, Judge's self-imposed opening day deadline. So he will be hitting the market at the end of this year because of that deadline that was uh, not reached. So this is a big one in Yankees nation right now because Aaron Judge, obviously the face of the Yankees for many years now, the closest thing we've had to a captain since Derek Jeter uh, stepped away from the field. Uh, Judge, I believe, was offered somewhere in the ballpark of seven years for about $213 million, I want to say. Maybe it was a little bit more, maybe around 230 all said and done with um, some kickers in there. Um, apparently, Judge is looking for another year or two tacked on, even though he's going to be 31, I believe, at the end of the year, uh, at least into next year. And he also wanted a higher AAV. And if you don't know what that means, it's a average annual value. So essentially how much you're going to be paid on average per season, which right now, because he's in arbitration numbers, is fairly cheap for the value that he provides to the team such as well, really, any team, really, but of course, the New York Yankees, being that that's the only team he's played for in his career. But he's chasing higher numbers. I think he wants to go above the Anthony Rendon number, 
which I think is around like 33, maybe like 35 million, Tony. I could be mistaken with that one, but um, anyway, before I let you talk, Tony, his deal that the Yankees did offer him would have made him the second highest paid um, outfielder of all time behind Mike Trout in terms of AAV. It would have been about 30 and a half million per year, but obviously Judge knows he can get more money on the market should a team offer that to him, and they should as long as he plays a healthy and productive year in 2022. So what Judge is doing in turning down this extension, and I'm sure a lot of you have put this together, he is banking on himself to have the season of his life. And Tom, you were pretty much on the money. It was actually 213.5, so I'm actually going to have to deduct five points. From what? I don't know. Deduct five points from Hufflepuff. Uh, That's my uh, Harry Potter house. Is it actually? I don't know a thing about uh, Harry Potter houses, so I'll get someone else to do it. (laughs) But what Aaron Judge is doing is basically saying... You know, I could take $213 million right now, or I could put up another, you know, 150-plus OPS-plus season with gold-glove caliber defense and maybe even a little bit of sneaky speed in there because I, Aaron Judge stole a base last night. I Trust me, we'll get into this later, but I was at the game, and Aaron Judge, as pitiful as, he, as the outcome was in the ninth inning, he put up a great at-bat against Diekman. He played a great game altogether. And he's been playing great games since he was a Yankee. Injuries or not, the guy's a fantastic baseball player. He wants to bet on himself and see if he could push that threshold higher. Tom, like you said, higher AAV, higher total contract value at the end of it all. Longer term, even though health, with how big he is and the position he plays, definitely a concern. Very likely going to be a DH if that extension goes, you know, seven, eight, nine years. But the big thing with this here for me is the Yankees, because obviously I don't think there's much else they could have done here because this was Judge's decision pretty much from the get-go. This is how he was going to go into extension talks. If the Yankees devote a segment of their ballpark to a player who leaves in free agency after giving them maybe three full seasons of productive baseball, that is pathetic. Like, we call the Rays poverty franchise. We call the A's a poverty franchise. I'm not going to call the Yankees a poverty franchise, but the way they've been spending money recently, I don't know, man. And if they actually let Judge go next season, how's that going to look for them? Like, what does that say about your organization that you have seemingly endless money? You have Brian Cashman in the offseason flunting from the mountaintops of, we have the third highest payroll in the history of baseball, we're going to win a World Series. Yeah, no, you're spending all this goddamn money, but you're not spending it where it matters. You're you're not spending it on getting Aaron Judge back in pinstripes. It's definitely going to cause ripple effects across the league uh, next year, obviously, once he hits uh, free agency. And you could also bank on Carlos Correa not opting out next year so he can opt out the next year and be the bell of the ball of the offseason. But I will say, as someone who picked Judge for his AL MVP pick, this is good news to me. (laughs) because it gives an aura of confidence from judge which frankly i like i do like that of him do i think he appears a tad greedy by saying that probably and uh you actually wrote something in the rundown that i kind of want you to start going over It, it ties into what i said about greed and more particularly loyalty And uh, New Yankees first baseman Anthony Rizzo had something to say about that. Yeah, in his quote, he's going to mention Freddie Freeman, which is ironic because he made the headlines for a very bad reason, but we will get to that in just a couple of minutes here on the Diamond Duo podcast. So Rizzo, this is from Brian Hoke on Twitter, by the way, 
there was a question asked to Rizzo if he had any advice to judge regarding his contract. And this is just a snippet of what he said. At the end of the day, it's about what is going to make him and Sam, who's Judge's wife, happy. You see, Freddie Freeman isn't on the Braves anymore. There's no loyalty in the game. Which is a very, very deep quote from someone who probably wanted to even be a Chicago Cub for life at one point, but ultimately never signed an extension there to stay there long term. If you look back a couple of years ago, just speaking to loyalty for a minute, I mean, you had Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo, we thought they, and Javi Baez even too, would be these gems for the Cubs for maybe 10 plus years because we thought their loyalty to the franchise would extend far. But that's not the case for other reasons besides economics, but that's not the case. Um, that had to do with like how the Cubs were playing as well. The Braves just won a world championship though, and we all thought Freddie Freeman was going to be a Brave for life. He was going to get that massive extension, retire as a Brave, and be immersed in Braves lore for the entirety of his career. But that's not the case either here. And this is the same thing that's happening with Aaron Judge. I'm very afraid as a Yankee fan that he is going to not be a Yankee come 2023. Maybe he'll be in Boston. Maybe he'll be across town in Queens to play for Stephen Cohen and uh, his endless piggy bank. Maybe he'll be at some middle-of-the-road Midwest team like Carlos Correa just so he can cash in for a couple of years. Uh, who knows? But about loyalty, ultimately at the end of the day, the more and more we're looking at baseball over the past couple of years and superstars, it's not about loyalty. It's about economics and business and what makes sense for the player throughout his career. Not everybody anymore. Maybe I had this shadow over my head because I was younger and I expected players to remain with their team for the whole career. But nobody's going to give a crap about if you're with a Yankee for life anymore. I mean, unless you're Brett Gardner, of course. He hasn't signed with a new team yet. We all thought he would sign with the Yankees this offseason. But... Legacy in saying with one team isn't necessarily big in sports anymore. You can even look at the NBA. People are forming super teams all the time. LeBron went to Miami, then to Cleveland. Now he's in LA. Kevin Durant went all over the place, and now he's in Brooklyn. It's happening in baseball too. People want to cash in, make the highest dollar possible. You can call them greedy all you want. At the end of the day, you're setting not only yourself up, but future generations up. And you don't know how those future generations are going to spend that money that you make. You can be making the lives of hundreds of people in the future, potentially, with this one deal that you sign now. Your first deal is to the team. Your second deal is to yourself, your family, and anybody else who surrounds you in your life. So loyalty is not necessarily on the books for everybody anymore. And especially given a pair of Red Sox out in Boston recently rejected extensions as well. Uh, I believe they go by the names of Rafi Devers and Xander Bogarts. I, I think the climate of MLB agrees with you, Tom. It sucks to see because I'm, I think all of baseball is with you in that we all wanted a Derek Jeter on our team. Someone who's just going to hold down the fort for his entire career. But money talks and it's a sad reality in many ways, but hey, that's how we get teams like the Dodgers to hilariously fall apart in Coors Field, even with Freddie Freeman on their team, but we'll get to that later. Uh, what we will get to for the time being, uh, we're actually going to stay out west, but we're not going to talk about the Rockies, we're not going to talk about the Dodgers, we're going to talk about the Padres, 
Because guess what, folks? The Padres finally got rid of Chris Paddock. Let's give him a nice big round of applause. Uh, and they also got rid of Emilio Pagan. They did so by shipping them off to Minnesota in exchange for relief pitcher Taylor Rogers and outfielder Brent Rooker. Uh, Bob Melvin came out and said uh, Taylor Rogers is the closer. No two ways around it. No bullshit. Taylor Rogers is going to close our games. He is the Mark Melanson of this year. And quite frankly, I think that's a fantastic move by the Padres. Taylor Rogers is a very effective reliever. They really needed the guy after losing out on Melanson in free agency. And the haul they gave up, I don't think the Padres are going to miss him all that much. You know, with Sean Manaya in town, Chris Paddock is basically obsolete with how much pitching talent they have in the minors. And Emilio Pagan, you know, he was one of those guys when they got him from the Rays, I was like, oh, that's such a great pick. He's so under the radar. He pitched great for him in 2019. And he just, you know, never amounted to all that when he was in San Diego. You know, you'd think pitching in Petco Park most of your games, but, you know, he'd struggle with home runs. He'd struggle to find the zone. He never really got into that closer role and was relegated as a setup man at best to Mark Melanson. So pretty much the last big trade we've seen uh, in the offseason. I think this happened days before opening day too. So I think it's a really good move for San Diego. The Twins will have to see. I'm not high on Chris Paddock at all truth be told, but Tom, I want to get your input on this because this is a pretty interesting move. Yeah, it's kind of a win-win for both teams because like you said, the San Diego Padres are going to get their closer in Taylor Rogers. Now, he hasn't necessarily been the full-time closer in Minnesota, at least not since 2019 from the looks of it when he had a 30-save year. 2020 is kind of an exception. He only had nine saves there. And then last year, though, he only had nine saves again in 40 games pitched. He was an all-star last year, so that's good. And he's a hefty lefty, obviously, now for San Diego. And if he's going to be their guy, that's great. The issue is he's going to be a free agent after this year. So that could maybe not play in the Padres cards if Taylor Rogers doesn't like things out in San Diego. Um, so Taylor Rogers, if he signs with San Diego for years to come, that's great. If not, it's just a win-now move, and they'll have to look for another closer next year which will be a little bit ridiculous in their part that they can't keep closers on their team but I guess relievers are kind of expendable in baseball now speaking of expendable relievers obviously Minnesota thought that they could use Emilio Pagan probably a little bit better than the San Diego Padres could I'm just going to pull up Pagan's numbers um he's actually a free agent after this year too he's just cheaper or no I'm sorry he's arbitration eligible after this year so they'll have him for two years potentially um and he's a cheaper option than Taylor Rogers uh, Pagan did have 20 saves for Tampa Bay, if you don't remember, in 2019, which I surely didn't remember until now. And Pagan, eh, over the past two years in San Diego, a combined ERA of 475. So not really good kind of a throwaway guy for San Diego because they do have a couple of pitchers that they can throw away. And one of those guys was Chris Paddock. He looked really good his rookie year, and then he kind of faltered throughout the second half, and he really hasn't been himself that we've seen that rookie year since. Last year, he had a 5.07 ERA. The year previous, a 4.73 ERA in that COVID year. So Minnesota needed another starting pitcher, and Chris Paddock fits the bill pretty well. Although, like you, Tony, I'm not really so big on him out in Minnesota because, well, it's Minnesota. They're not necessarily known for their pitching, but things can quickly change uh, with a new regime. And if you're wondering, Paddock is a free agent in 2025. So they will have him locked down 
for a couple of years, and that'll take him to, I think, his age 29 or 30 season, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So that's kind of the whole gist of the trade. Now we've got to get to something that kind of came out of left field before we go and talk about opening day weekend, and I'm going to try and breeze through this one, even though it's probably not as big as the media is making it out to be, but still it's kind of significant, and that's Ronald Acuna Jr. saying he's not going to miss Freddie Freeman in Atlanta, uh, saying that Freeman was never really close to him, and part of the reason was because that he and other veterans, not just Freeman, kind of picked on him and kind of gave him when he entered the big leagues. Like, I know... Ronald was saying that um, he came in with like the sense of swag, he had like the eye black on, and I think the chains and all that, and they were kind of wiped the eye black off his face and told him, listen, kid, we don't do that here in the big leagues, but now with baseball embracing fun, of course, the things have changed, and Ronald is now the big fish in town out in Atlanta with Freddie Freeman's departure. It's kind of shocking to see, because I didn't really think of that vibe out in Atlanta, especially last year, and with Freddie Freeman, I honestly didn't expect to see this at all, but I guess relationships aren't necessarily painted as pretty as we'd like to imagine. Here's the thing with this whole interaction between Acuna and Freeman. I definitely think the media is exacerbating it a little bit, just for the sake of clicks. You know, if you make your headline, ooh, Ronald Acuna will not miss Freddie Freeman, it's, you're gonna get clicks, you're gonna get engagement from that, but I'm gonna be honest, I really don't think there's a bad guy in this story. Uh, I pulled up an article from the New York Post on the whole situation. I'm just going to read out this quote from Freeman really quick, just describing his end of the situation. When you put on a Braves uniform in that organization, there are organizational rules. You don't cover the A with sunglasses. You don't wear earrings. You don't put your hair at a certain length. Uh, you wear uniform out for BP. You know, you don't have eye black coming down across your whole face. Tom, you alluded to that earlier. These are just organizational things. He goes on to say, you know, he's one of the older guys, he's just trying to enforce these sort of, for lack of a better term, and I hate this buzzword, unwritten rules of Atlanta. You know, he wasn't trying to antagonize Ronald, he wasn't trying to say, hey, you, you, f you, stop, uh, stop wearing eye black. He's just trying to teach him, you know, the lay of the land, in a sense, and Ronald perceived that as aggressive. Uh, Freddy himself said that he still loves Ronald. His family, in addition to himself, are gonna miss him. The dude's obviously very fun to be around. I mean, he is Ronald Acuna, after all. Think of it like this. We see Freddie Freeman, baseball fan base sees Freddie Freeman as, you know, oh, the wholesome face of the franchise who everyone loves and it's impossible to dislike. If you're Ronald Acuna and you just didn't run in the same circles as Freddie Freeman in the clubhouse, you know, maybe you were just closer to guys like Ozzy or... I don't know, Guillermo Heredi, uh, just for, just to name a few, then you're not going to miss him as much, you know, versus, you know, Glaber and Gio from the Yankees when Gio got traded. <laughs> Glaber posted on his story that he's going to miss him, then he's like a brother to him. You know, some friends you're just closer to than others, and it's very same in a work environment. I, I definitely think this story got blown up a little too much. There's probably not much more to it, and that's probably why it's been kind of hush-hush uh, past couple days, so... I don't really think there's a bad guy in the story. It's just really interesting to see out of a World Series winner to boot. I think even Ronald Acuna went out like the next day after this was taken, and he pretty much said that this is kind of being blown out of proportion, that he still, like, respects Freddie and all that, but, um, that is, his thoughts obviously stand true. Like, if you're speaking about it, like, naturally, there's probably some truthfulness, I would say, to it, but, um... Yeah, it was, he said it was blown out of proportion. It's not really that big of a deal as everybody's making it out to be. Like we said, Tony, that he still will miss Freddy. He wishes him the best of luck out in LA. And yeah, that's just how it goes. You summed it up great. Like, 
people are just friends with like other people sometimes you're closer to certain people than you are with other people you don't always see eye to eye with certain people so that's just the lay of the land sometimes in baseball all right so with all that out of the way that is going to do it for our major headline segment which means get excited folks we get to talk about opening weekend now there's a couple big stories that have been going around there's a couple big players that have been really exciting to watch uh and we'll get to all of those throughout this segment this is what we're going to spend the bulk of the show on just kind of deep driving not so much deep driving opening weekend because like i alluded to in the beginning of the show this was a fun weekend to start off with we had some young prospects debuts we're absolutely going to highlight including one guy who i'm very very happy with tom already knows who it is but (laughs) (laughs) might have highlighted him on the rundown too but <laughs> oh, I did see that just now. How you added him. <laughs> <laughs> we're also going to go into uh, the predictions we made last week. We're just going to give little updates as to where we were with those. And more importantly, we're just going to, you know, bounce from significant series to significant series and seeing what some takeaways from it are going to be. But for the time being, we do have some, I don't want to call them disclaimers, but little stories, little changes that you are going to see to the game this year that you might have seen already and thought, huh, I didn't know that was a thing. And these two changes in particular, Tom, I'll intro and why don't you go into them? One such change is pitchers and catchers using technology to relay signs for the first time. And number two, umpires are now going to announce replay decisions to the crowd like in other sports. Think, you know, the NFL when a referee has to announce the call to the stadium the nhl is the same thing so mlb umpires are going to do that now tom why don't you go into these changes we've actually seen uh an umpire review already in this short weekend so i'll start with that then um so yeah as tony pretty much said now that the now the umpires are gonna be looking at a camera or maybe not looking at a camera but they'll be taking a microphone and announcing the replay decisions to the crowd and the audience at home. Again, much akin to the NFL, what they've been doing for a very long time. Also, what the NBA has adopted over the past couple of years. And I guess you could also say what the NHL has been doing for a very long time. But I can't verify that because I don't watch hockey all too, too much. I, I don't know what this, like, little finger motion means, Tony. Like, what the hell What the hell did you just do? You don't know what this means? No, I don't know what that means. You're, like, scratching your finger, it looks like. <laughs> For the folks at home who can't see this, which is everybody because it's a visual medium, I'm doing the shame motion. Like, you know, you put your index finger out and you rub the top of it with your other index finger like this thing. You know, I I did it up to the mic so you could hear it better as if it'll visualize it better. You never heard of that, really? No, I usually just go and I shake my head or like I'll give them like a little wag like no, no, no with my uh, index finger. Like I'll go side to side. No, no, no. Like, that's what usually I do. I don't go, like, itching my finger to be, like, shame. I I think you're, like, filing your nails, quite frankly, the way I was looking at it. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I'm doing. I wanted to show you exactly. Well, I didn't want to just go in the middle of your segment. I didn't want to interrupt it, which, granted, it's being interrupted now, but this is at least funny, because <laughs> I had no idea. You didn't know what that was. You know what? For future reference, if I disagree with something, I'll just go like this right in the camera, i.e. I'm going to shake my finger side to side. <laughs> no 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 you can do the little like little scratchy thing like of shame the scratch of shame i'll call it from now on maybe you can put that on a t-shirt of shame you know i kind of like that is that bad the scratch of shame 
It's, <laughs> it sounds so serious. It almost looks like, at least from this angle that I'm trying to, if these were two sticks, like I'd be starting a fire. <laughs> I don't know. N- now we're getting off into hand gestures. Let's, <laughs> let's continue talking yes. about, speak, hey, wait, umpires, hand gestures. I don't know. I'm thinking of the NHL now with like tripping, holding. Yeah, I don't think there's but, any hand gestures involved other than the safe and the out when they're announcing replay decisions. But yeah, they're pretty much just announcing them to the crowd. They're going to go into a replay review and then announce them. I think that's pretty much it from that. I think we had one. People were calling it electric to quote them on Twitter. And um, I would have to agree because it gets the crowd into it as well. If you're just doing an out or safe, I mean, it's going to get the crowd into it. But some umpires can put some dispense into it, i.e. Wes McCauley does it all the time in the NHL. And he's adored for it for the many of reasons that Wes McCauley is adored in the NHL as a referee. You know, I said I didn't talk too much about hockey and know it. Well, now I'm bringing up a hockey referee. Um, <laughs> like, you know, hockey, like it's the back of your hand. Make up your mind. <laughs> <laughs> I can assure you I don't know it like the back of my hand. Uh, but at any rate, let's move into uh, hand gestures that used to be and kind of still are with catchers relaying motions to the pitcher. So now they're using, again, as Tony said, sign relaying technology for the first time. What I've seen is catchers on the wrist have kind of a few like inputs, like buttons that they can press. And I, I don't think they're really labeled that we saw where they can press certain buttons, and that essentially relays something into the ear of the pitcher, and then also two people on defense they can use. Um, You could do them to your middle infielders, your center fielder probably, you can throw your third baseman on it if you really wanted to, but two uh, defenders will also get earpieces that will state where the catcher wants the pitch to be located and what pitch he wants. There might be a third input I'm missing, but those are the two big ones that I can remember. And either catchers have them on their wrist, and they can just go do-do-do-do-do, punch in the buttons, and they can cover it with their glove. Or something that I saw Kyle Higashioka do on opening day, he has it on his knee pad, and that way he can fully block it with the glove, which I think is insanely smart, um, unless they were always given the option. But I think this is the smarter option. Keep it on your knee, and then you can relay... Um, the inputs through that. And then, of course, if the technology doesn't work, you can go back to giving signs the old-fashioned way. So it's just interesting to see technology being used in the MLB now. In the MLB, this is actually, I think, a good attempt by them to curb these sign-stealing scandals that have been plaguing baseball for the past couple of years, even though they really shouldn't, but that's because the Astros and possibly other teams, like Chris Sale alluded to, have exploited, let's say, the use of camera to uh home plate technology i think it's definitely a good way to curb it um granted i don't know the technological interface of this little wrist pad the catcher is gonna have like could you imagine if the opposing dugout hires like a hacker or they get like a computer scientist (laughs) from like their r&d department like hey man hack into that guy's armband we need to find out what he's doing like what the signs are like go full mission impossible full uh paul sorrento's bat with the indians Jesus. incident which th- that'll be a deep drive like a historical deep drive for another day if you don't know that story <laughs> yeah yeah they're gonna have to sign they're gonna have to get a norton security subscription for their uh server for their inputs <laughs> and that's gonna be easily hacked into because i think that's a joke <laughs> in the uh <laughs> in the industry is norton is like the leader and like computer safety and that's not true that's like saying the baltimore orioles are the leading figures in major league pitching so <laughs> you know, yeah you yeah you know how we can determine the poverty franchise or not if they use norton to uh like <laughs> do their servers with this then we know they're cheap if they have like some complex like mission impossible type shit that's like blocking their servers then we know they're 
a team that wants to spend their money in the right places. I'm just joking. I have no idea what type of, like, technology goes into this. I am not an engineer or any sort of, like, wiring uh, person at all. You were literally the tech director at our old radio <laughs> station. <laughs> yeah, listen, I was for the sports department, not for the station. I didn't know how to put, like stations together that was our chief engineers <laughs> duty and the technical engineers duty the student one uh, I, just, I just i just knew how to set up sports broadcasts and like troubleshoot them a little bit like i wasn't like macgyvering like a like my own audio board together i just found that very ironic i'm not an engineer i don't know technology <laughs> Yeah, that that that's gonna be taken out of context in a bad way. That you know, it's gonna be good context for the blooper folder. I I think. Oh no, it definitely will. We we have so much content for the blooper folder this episode. It's ridiculous. But <laughs> uh, jumping back to the game, yeah, no, it's gonna be really good for catchers. Uh, provided, uh, I mean, we've not heard anything of it, so I presume it's going very well across Major League Baseball so far. Tom, I'm not gonna lie, I didn't even notice that Higashioka put it on his knee. At some point, that is really smart because, you know, let's just say you're a left-handed batter's ba- uh, you're a left-handed batter, and the catcher's got the armband, you know, on his left arm. All you gotta do is look down a little bit, a la Fernando Tatis peeking at the Dodger signs, and then you're good. Then you, then you see all the, all the secrets, all the secret codes that the catcher's punching in, so that's really smart on his part. As long as it's universal, like, if it's, like, pitch location is, like, for, like, the same inputs, if they change a team to team, then that's one thing. If it's universal, then hitters can technically learn that. Um, they could just ask their catcher, hey, how do I, uh, see what the other catcher is doing? But, yeah, he puts it on his knee and then covers his, uh, knee pad with his glove, and then he just inputs it that way. I could also imagine this will open the door for, you know, if you remember the way the Nationals counteracted the Astro sign stealing in the uh, nineteen, the twenty nineteen World Series, even if this wasn't outright to prevent sign stealing, they changed up their signs by batters, by pitchers, by games. Like mm-hmm. I-, I can imagine that opens the door for a lot more of that when you incorporate technology. So. Definitely a lot of doors this could open, and I'm curious to see if this will last, because at least the way it started this weekend, it seems very likely. Moving right along now, into the more meat and potatoes of opening weekend, I would argue one of the most exciting things that at least got me hyped for the start of the season was the debut of a number of different top prospects. Uh, This being the result of the CBA being a lot more forgiving to young prospects and doing away with the practice of service time manipulation, or let's not say doing away with it because O'Neill Cruz is still in AAA for some godforsaken reason. Let's say (laughs) mitigating the efforts of service time manipulation. And we see that in the form of prospects like Hunter Green, Bobby Wood Jr., Julio Rodriguez, and CJ Abrams making their big league debuts. Now, no one has had this, you know, huge moment where they've you know, saved the team yet. I mean, granted, Bobby Wood Jr. Uh, did have a pretty clutch double, but I'm more saying... Yeah, there you go. I'm more saying none of them have broken out to be, like, the team's best hitter yet. Like, none of them are hitting, like, you know, Mike Trout in his rookie season yet. But having seen clips of the way the four men I just mentioned play, they all look really, really good. Like, for I, for one, was watching the Braves... Uh, Reds game when Hunter Green was making his debut, and I saw him mow through the top of that Braves order like it was nothing. Uh, he did give up a couple runs eventually. I believe one, I think only Matt Olson took him deep. I think that was the only home run he gave up. But first time through the order, Eddie Rosario, 
weak ground out to second. Matt Olson struck him out on the fastball. Austin Riley struck him out, I believe, on the slide or the changeup. His command looked pretty good for most of the game. He obviously tapered off a little bit, a couple mound visits, you know, just to settle him down. Did get into some trouble, but he looked fantastic for the most part. Actually touched triple digits 20 times, so the effects of that Tommy John surgery are not being felt by Hunter Green, so very, very happy for him. Picked up his first Major League W against the Braves. That's really impressive. Uh, Bobby Wood Jr. alluded to earlier, big clutch RBI double against the Guardians on opening day, actually, for them, so that must have been exciting for the Royals fans in attendance. Batting average, obviously, still below Mendoza, but it's three games in. If you're calling Bobby Wood Jr. or Julio Rodriguez busts, three games into the season. I don't know what to tell you. J-Rod, I believe, has only collected one hit so far. It was a single that sparked a rally for Seattle against Minnesota. So that was exciting. And that's not even mentioning guys like Josh Lowe, Bryson Stott, Nick Lodolo, who's going to make his debut sometime this week. Uh, I frankly forgot. I believe it's the 13th, which will be Wednesday. So that's very exciting. Very happy for him. Very happy for all these young prospects. Uh, Tom, did you happen to catch any of these prospects? You see any of them play? Is there anyone we missed so far? Because I I want to talk about one guy in particular, but I'm going to let you chime in first. Yeah, I thought you were going to throw to that a lot earlier on when you were talking about these guys haven't had their big moment. They haven't hit like Mike <laughs> Trout yet. And then you got one dude who's like got like an 800 batting average right now who we'll mention oh. in a minute. Yeah, he's not hitting like Mike Trout. He's hitting like Babe Ruth, but we'll we'll get to that later. Uh, I would argue Ted Williams, but um, <laughs> let's move on to that in a little bit. Uh, I did see Hunter Green a little bit because he's on my fantasy team. I picked him up, I believe, in the final round of the draft. So thank you for all the 13 other people who passed on Hunter Green. I will happily take him on my team. Uh, Tony, you did make a statistical mistake when you were um, analyzing Hunter Green. He gave up two home runs on the day, not one. I was kind of trying to give you the... Uh... Uh the scratch of shame and the uh no 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 finger <laughs> wag uh when you're doing it but i don't think you saw it uh he did finish the day with seven strikeouts and five innings pitched three earned runs not bad for a major league debut i'd say he looked pretty good and a good inkling of what we're going to get from him in the future bobby wood jr yeah he had that big uh double on opening day george brett was talking big about him that day saying everybody's here for the kid as in bobby wood jr and he delivered i believe his parents were there like everybody was there on Royals opening day rooting for Bobby Witt Jr. And he had that one big moment. Julio Rodriguez, I think, is like 1 for 12 to start the season or something like that. So not big from him, but give him some time. Uh, CJ Abrams, uh, I think he started for like 1 for 9. I think he was a late call-up from the San Diego Padres uh, to make their big league roster. So I don't know how much time he really had for uh, mental preparation, but uh, he's not starting very hot either. Bryson Stott, I think, had a big debut if I'm not mistaken, I'm trying to pull it up on baseball reference right now, but my internet is a little bit slow. Let's see. Uh, he's uh, two for seven at the dish with an RBI, which will give him a 286 batting average. Uh, I'm trying to pull up a game log, but uh, I don't think I'm going to find that. But uh, he's got two hits so far and seven at-bats. Not bad. Nick Lodolo, uh, you mentioned. He hasn't pitched yet, so we'll see from him. And Josh Lau, one of the top prospects from the Tampa Bay Rays. No relation to Brandon Lau. I did check. I thought they were going to have brothers on the same team. But it turns out Josh Lau is the brother of Nathaniel Lau on the Texas Rangers. So three Laus in the big leagues. Two of them are brothers. Now you know the uh, trivia answer of uh, whose brother is who. 
Josh Lyle is two for nine at the dish. He's also on my fantasy team. He has a triple as well as a single. He's walked three times, struck out twice, only a 222 batting average, but a 417 OBP for your first three games. Not bad, kid. Good job. Uh, one of their top prospects again, first rounder in 2016. Now, Tony, now we've got to get over to Stephen Kwan because he is the best rookie so far. I believe you said he was going to be the rookie of the year. And I was like, wait a minute, hang on. He's actually going to base stuff off of his spring training numbers, but he's really living up to the hype at least to start the season. We've seen other rookies have like really good starts to the career and then they eventually falter off. But Stephen Kwan is hitting exceptionally well. He hit 469 batting average and 34 plate appearances in spring training, and he's not slouching at the big league level right now either. So, ladies and gentlemen, can I convert you to the church of Stephen Kwan? <laughs> this, is my, well, this is one of my best predictions yet. I mean, granted, we are a whole, I believe, three games the Guardians played against the Kansas City Royals, but in case you missed it, in case it's okay if you did, you know, Cleveland doesn't have that many fans anymore. They chased them all away just like they did Lindor. Stephen Kwan is 8 for 10. In case you need a little math help, that is an 800 batting average. He has an 857 on base percentage and a 1000 slugging percentage. And in case that didn't sound unsustainable enough, uh, <laughs> this is the stat that I found the most hilarious. Obviously, this is of Monday the 11th, just. Keep in mind, folks, Stephen Kwan has seen 58 big league pitches, and he has not swung and missed once. When Tom said he's the next coming of Ted Williams, if he could put these numbers up consistently, I, he's not wrong. Now, am I actually hyping Stephen Kwan up to be the next Ted Williams? F no. Like I said, it's been three games. The guy has been playing on rookie mode to start his big league career. And it makes my pick of him being the Dark Horse Rookie of the Year candidate uh, all the more better. So, pat myself on the back for that one. I'm going to be rooting for Stephen Kwan <laughs> the whole way through. We'll see if this will remain sustainable or some semblance of performance will remain sustainable. Obviously, an 800 batting average is the antithesis of sustainable. But Stephen Kwan is off to arguably the, hard, uh, the hottest start in baseball right now. The pessimist in me wants to see shades of your mean Mercedes from last year, if you remember him. I mean, all the signs are there, you know, a rookie just coming up from an AL Central team, has a five-hit night. That's a pretty eerie similar uh, similarity right there. Granted, where your mean was, you know, a much slower power hitter who really didn't have a ton of positions to play outside of DH, Quan can really flash the leather in left field. He actually made a really nice play. I forget who struck the ball. It might have been Andrew Benintendi, though I might be wrong. Really made a nice sprawling catch out and left. So Stephen Kwan is a name I am circling for the upcoming week. I really want to see what he could do on this Cleveland team that other than Kwan, Framil Reyes, and Jose Ramirez is pretty bereft of offense. So yeah, Tony, that's a good uh, segue into it um, because there's a series that didn't have a bereft of hitting, and that was... The Yankees and Red Sox series. Now, of course, I'm a Yankee fan, so of course I got to talk about the Yankees and Red Sox when we're talking about opening day weekend. But this was a very fun series to watch, mainly because the Yankees took two of the three games away from Boston. So, hoorah! Grier! Also, we had our first instance of extra innings this year in the Ghost Runner we got to see in two innings. So, that was not fun to watch. I mean, it happened, and ultimately, at the end of the day, I was a fan of the rule that day because Josh Donaldson secured his first walk-off 
and Yankee pinstripes. I alluded to that earlier when I threw some shade at Aaron Judge's way for taking so long to finally get a walk-off, and it took Josh Donaldson one game. Look who's going to have the better Yankee career. Uh, but no, the Yankees looked pretty solid this weekend um, throughout their series with Boston. Uh, they came back in that first game. The second game, I'm forgetting. I want to say they came back or they had the lead throughout most of the game. And then the third game, it was, again, pretty close. And then Jake Diekman pretty much shut down everybody in the Yankees lineup in the final inning. So that happened. Shout out Giancarlo Stanton for continuing to make the Red Sox his bitch. I want to see what Giancarlo Stanton's numbers are on the year because they're incredible what this man can do to the Red Sox. I don't have like a laundry list of uh, stats to give off about Stanton, but I do have one big stat that is a all-time record now. So this series, he had 13 at-bats. He had five hits, two home runs, four RBIs, which gives him a 385 batting average and OBP, an OPS plus, ladies and gentlemen, of 239. With those two home runs, he hit them in Game 1 and Game 2 of the season, which gave him six straight games with a home run against the Red Sox, which is now an all-time record against the Red Sox of consecutive games. I believe he passed Jim Tomei, who was also tied with him for number f- with five home runs. He didn't hit his in a uh, seventh straight game last night, but he did collect three base hits. So you know what? I'm not blaming the Yankees' loss on him. It was just a good series, a good back-and-forth series between the two rivals. And yeah, that was just a lot of fun to watch over the weekend was Yankees-Red Sox. What a better way to kick off the season. And as someone who attended Game 3, which, go figure, the one game I go to, they lose. (laughs) Um, That's happened to you a lot this year. How many Islander games have you gone to this year and they've lost in a row? You were telling me that last week. I've gone to six Islander games this year, folks, and they lost all of them. (laughs) <laughs> so now you're 0 for 7 this year at sporting events. We're going to have to take you to a sporting event and hope that your fortunes change. You see, what happens when I go to a sporting event without a New York team? Who wins? Because everyone I've gone to this year, the New York team's lost. We'll, we'll have to experiment with that. I'll go to like a Red Sox <laughs> A's game or some crap like that later in the year. But no, something that really surprised me about this Yankees team, just really quick before I hop into a series that I really want to talk about. This Yankees team plays with a lot more heart than I thought they would. Donaldson, even though he had a bad game, he struck out three times, all of them looking. Uh, The crowd really let him hear it. He looks great out there. I really think he's going to have a better season than people give him credit for. Aaron Hicks' contract makes me me just want to go in a corner and cry somewhere. Uh, (laughs) uh, He did not have a good game. He did make a nice catch in center, though. Joey Gallo, uh, you asked for him, Yankee fans. So don't be pissed when he strikes out 50 million times. Really ballsy performance by Jake Diekman. You alluded to it, Tom, striking out the heart of the Yankee order. Just Judge Stanton Gallo like that. Judge did put up like a 10-pitch at-bat, though. So major props to him. He, or props to him. He had a great at-bat. Yeah, that that Um, should have set this this tone for Giancarlo Stanton. But he went out, he fell on his face in that last at-bat. He looked terrible. Like four pitches, five or something like that. Yeah, and then the same thing happened to Joey Gallo, so great. Aaron Judge's uh, sacrifice was uh, not a worthy one. Very much in vain. Thank you for that, Jake Diekman. But no, very back and forth. The Yankees just got unlucky, I noticed, with a lot of swings. They were pressing a little too hard. But I'm diving too deep into one game. The Yankees, suffice to say, look better than I thought they would this year. And taking two or three from Boston is a damn good sign. Now, Boston, (laughs) fix that bullpen. I, I praise Jake Diekman for his performance so far, but for the love of God and for your fans, fix that goddamn bullpen. 
Well, Actually, Cutter... don't because I, I don't want to see them in the postseason. You know, well, that's why I said for their fans, not for us. If you're doing this for us, then please keep your bullpen the way it is. Yes. I mean, I did project them to go to the postseason. I put them in the ALCS in uh, my Blue Jays pick going to the World Series. But um, for the sake of my sanity, please don't let that happen. You know what? I'm going to be on board with you. But as a baseball fan, you, you want to see that fixed. But hey, Tom, you brought up the Blue Jays. That's actually pretty ironic because the series I want to talk about real quick is Texas at Toronto. And boy, howdy, if anyone was as high on the Blue Jays as Tom and I were, you, for the most part, were happy with this series. I say for the most part because that offense performed as advertised. Bichette, Guerrero, Springer, and Hernandez all homered at some point in this three-game stretch as they took two of three from the offense-happy Rangers. Another takeaway I want to really point out is that Texas's offense... Tom and I talked about it in our uh, off-season debrief episodes, one of them, that Texas's offense really got better, and right? it's getting really slept on. It's more than just Semyon and Seager, you know. Brad Miller had a fantastic series as their leadoff man. Mitch Garver, I believe, went deep. He's been fantastic for him so far. On the whole, very great offensive performances from both teams. I mean, just look at the scores. It was 10-8 to and 12-6 to for two of the games. Can't imagine that'll happen too much for the Blue Jays or Rangers this year. And I say that because they're pitching. Wow. <laughs> if you couldn't tell by the scores, their pitching was not optimal. Jose Barrios, the Blue Jays opening day starter, got yanked after recording one out. He finished with an ERA of 108 when all of those runners came home to score. Yeah, they just extended Barrios in the offseason, so prayers up to him that this is just a strange blip in the matrix because if you're a blue jays fan that should scare the shit out of you however the blue jays bullpen rather the spearhead of the bullpen has been pretty good yimmy garcia and jordan romano have both been really good to start the year rest of the bullpen not even get to talk to because it's gross um texas i could say the exact same thing just want to say i feel so goddamn bad for spencer howard former top overall prospect in the phillies doesn't pan out now he's in texas and he barfs out an 18 era in over three innings yeah it's not looking good for spencer howard i just feel so damn bad for that kid because his stuff looked great in the minors and now it doesn't but no texas and toronto should make fans of offense heavy games very very happy because these teams if they're gonna finish with positive records they're gonna do so with a piss poor run differential with how many runs their pitchers may give up yeah, it's not going to be pretty, especially for Texas. We foresaw this coming, as you alluded to. Uh, for Toronto, <laughs> if you want to, uh, I believe we both put them in the World Series, Tony. You had them winning it. I had them as the runner-up. If they're going to even come sniffing close to that, their bullpen is going to have to be one of the top bullpens, at least in the American League. Otherwise, there's no shot in hell they'll even make the playoffs. I said make the playoffs. They need to earn that right, and to do so, you need to get your pitching going, your starting, and your bullpen. Although, shout out Jordan Romano, because he's on my fantasy team, and I think he got me some uh, valuable points, so woo-hoo. Tony, you alluded to it. They were hitting very well, but speaking of, um, I'm going to kind of throw the Uno reverse card your way. There was a team that doesn't isn't really known for their hitting, and that's the Arizona Diamondbacks, and what did you say? Like, their 100 batting average, essentially, because they suck? That's actually a thing I saw on Twitter today. I was going to wait till you were done, but I'll just throw this out there to preface this segment. 
The Diamondbacks as a team, again, as of Monday, are hitting 118. <laughs> and yet, they still turned out two wins against the San Diego Padres. And why am I saying this with such scorn? One, it's the San Diego Padres. They are expected to be a lot better than this. But two is actually something that has to do with me doing a little prediction. And we're going to talk more about predictions, but Editor Tony is going to have to throw in this audio from our very last episode about me and no hitters this season. I'm going to say we're going to have two this year, and I believe they're going to come from both in the National League. I'm going to say you, Darvish, will throw a no hitter this year. Why? Because why the f*** not? So yeah, I said there would be at least oh about two no-hitters this year. The Padres had two no-hitters going late into the game against the Arizona Diamondbacks their first two games of the season. You heard in that clip, I predicted you Darvish to have one of those no-hitters because I said, yeah, screw it, San Diego Padres will. And yeah, you know what? You Darvish will. Dude had it through six innings, and then he gets pulled by Bob Melvin. I want to pull his hair out, whatever left of it he has, because I don't know if he's bald or not. Yeah, that sucks. And then they uh, blew the lead, and then Arizona won. Well, the next day, Bob Melvin didn't learn his lesson, because Sean Manaya, who happens to be on my fantasy team, threw seven no-hit innings. He pitched very well, and then got pulled again by Bob Melvin. And then, guess what? The Padres lost that game. They're just as bad as the Mets are They're going to become the new New York Mets. They're going to be that joke in the National League outside of the Reds, but they're rebuilding, so I'll give them a pass. But I understand Bob Melvin's moves here because um, it's only April. The starters didn't have as long to train in spring training. So it's understandable that he's keeping them to a pitch count, but it pisses me off so much, especially that you Darvish one, because my prediction could have came true day one of the MLB season, and I think I would have at least earned a gold medal, maybe at at the very least like a really good cookie for that. But yeah, the Diamondbacks pretty much blew up the uh, Padres' bullpen. They won two, I believe they played three games over the weekend, and they won two of the three there. Oh, they played four. Was it two and two a split? It is a split, actually. I thought the, I thought the Diamondbacks won it for a second, but that would have been hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that would have been actually, hilarious. Okay. Oh no, no. The Padres actually won three of four. Wait, really? They yeah. won three of four? Uh, the I Diamondbacks thought... won the first one in walk-off fashion, but the Padres won three nothing, five two, and ten five. Why was the Sean Manaya game? I thought they, came... I thought the Diamondbacks came back in that one. They came back in the U Darvish oh. game. Oh, you know what I'm thinking of? No, I got my, I mixed it up. I apologize, everyone. So immediately after Sean Manaya got pulled, they gave up that hit, and that's what ruined the no-hitter prediction for me with the Padres, the Manaya one. Not necessarily the Udarvish one, but the Manaya one. So I, they didn't come back. So actually now I uh, pity the Diamondbacks even more and uh, have to apologize to San Diego uh, for uh, saying that they lost this year. Although they probably will blow one to the Diamondbacks, maybe two at some point in the season. But anyway, I've talked long enough about the Padres and the Diamondbacks. Tony, what do you got? What I'll say about the Padres to make me laugh at them more they put the same pitcher, I don't know if you said this, they put the same pitcher in both times, and he gave up a hit both times. Uh, <laughs> I feel really bad for this dude. His name is Tim Hill. If you're not familiar with him, he's kind of that funky lefty out of the bullpen for San Diego. If the three batter minimum was not a thing, he'd be the guy to come in, 
strike out Joey Gallo, and then go take a seat. But unfortunately, yes? We've got more breaking news on the Diamond Duo Ooh. podcast. Oh, so this God. one is kind of a, li- this is a little out of left field. But according to the Washington Post's Barry Svlerga, the Lerner family, the owners of the Nationals, is exploring a possible sale of the team. Um, And a full transfer of ownership is possible. Shout out Sam Yarnell for getting that on my feet. He said he's never wanted anything more in my life. (laughs) I guess they don't invest too much in Washington. They won the World (laughs) Series there. But, um... Yeah, so that came out of left field. <laughs> wow. So the Nationals might be sold. How about that? Uh, I don't know how to react to that. Like, you know, they're not like the John Fisher of the A's or, you know, the Hal Steinbrenner of the Yankees that just everyone knows and everyone has either strong feelings of or no feelings of. There's no really in between. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I didn't even know who won the Nationals, so. Uh, <laughs> I didn't I didn't know either. So uh, now we know. It's the Werner family. <laughs> Well, for now, it's the Lerner family. We'll have to see. Yeah, yeah. maybe it'll be like Elon Musk or something like that in the future. <laughs> Who knows? He's buying everything nowadays. He's, He's... got a stake in Twitter now. He's going to get a baseball <laughs> team. Why not? That would suit him well. Honestly, it's very... I think it'd be very fitting. Yeah, he's going to rename the Nationals to some, like, weird name. What did he name his daughter or something <laughs> like that? It was, like, some, like, hieroglyphics. Some like, I don't math... even... It's a math equation or some <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, he'll name them the Washington, like, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know how, even how to say his daughter's name. I apologize for not knowing that, but, uh, or is it their son or daughter? I, I don't know, but he gave his kid a weird name. Nationals Park will now be renamed to Chi R Squared Field. <laughs> but it'll be spelt in, like, Chinese letters. Oh, Jesus. Uh, uh, anyway, you were, you were saying about the Padres and Diamondbacks. But no, back to Tim Hill. He came in in the seventh inning of the Darvish game, the eighth inning of the Manaya game. Ironically enough, to face a lefty twice, the first day it was Pavin Smith, second day it was David Peralta, both of whom just float a bullshit single the other way, and it's like a dagger in the heart. Like, I have no affiliation with the Padres or Tim Hill, but that just felt like, oh, come on. That's this one. That's this man's one job is to get lefties out. And he can't get two lefties on the Diamondbacks out. Like, David Peralta is their leading hitter right now with three. Three hits is enough to pace a Major League Baseball team. And Tim Hill couldn't keep him down. And this isn't even to make fun of Tim Hill. I genuinely feel bad for the guy. Because just for sake of proximity, you know, two days in a row. But more so, you know, we can laugh at the Diamondbacks all day. The Padres, at least their hitting core, they look like they pitched pretty well. Uh, Taylor Rogers actually did pick up a pair of saves in the series, and they went out with a bang. They beat him 10-5. Not really much else to say. Their key performers performed, even in the absence of Tatis. So, that's good for them. Also, shout out Austin Nola, a guy who definitely flew under the radar last year for how much he was hurt. He's off to a pretty nice start. He's got a a 785 OPS. That's a 400 batting average. Obviously, that's going to normalize, you know, regress to the mean at some point, but... It's a nice start. Guy had a pump 2021 because he was hurt so often. I really hope he could bounce back because, you know, the year before he was really, really good. Outside of that, not much else to say for the Padres. But, Tom, jumping back on your prediction train, why don't we revisit those predictions we made? Because some of them have already been satisfied. Uh, Most (laughs) have not. Like, just for instance, the most impactful free agent. You know, we're not going to know that until the end of the season. 
And I mean, Tom picked Pujols, so we already know his is wrong. But... Oh, no, 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 no. The Cardinals are winning the World Series. I told you, Papa Pujols and the three amigos are going to lead this team to glory. They're all going to go out riding in the sunset in World Se- with a World Series ring uh, to yes. their collection. <laughs> yes, of course. They're going to ride Clydesdales out of Bush Stadium with a big film score in the back. It's going to be very cinematic, folks. If you thought Big Ben's retirement was cinematic last year, you ain't seen nothing yet. This, this is going to um, be a Stephen. This is going to be a Stanley Kubrick movie. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> the cinematography that goes into this. Uh, let's get into these predictions stuff so we can get on with our lives. So the first one we uh, talked about, and I'm going to bree- we're going to breeze through these pretty quickly, was the Mets blowing a significant lead, aka the seventh inning or later. We both lost that one because they did it in their third game against the Washington soon to be named. Uh, random characters uh by uh elon (laughs) musk that's our prediction that probably won't come true but uh the nationals made the mets blow a league in their uh, third game tony you had the numbers i think i think i said like 11 or something like that i gave the mets two weeks but apparently that was way too long yeah i know for a fact last episode i said you were way too generous to them and this notion holds true because we are three games into the into the season folks and mets twitter is already bitching about their bullpen I was close. I said four, although it turns out even that was too generous for this bullpen. Although you can't blame Mr. Point up into the sky, as you called him, Tom, because he's actually on a bereavement list, which quick shout out to him and his family. We offer them our condolences. I believe he suffered a death in the family. I don't have any details and quite, I don't have any details and quite frankly, I don't want them just to, you know, give the respect and privacy their family deserves. So, yeah. best wishes to Edwin Diaz and his family. We offer our condolences. But the rest of the Mets bullpen, unfortunately, did not pull their weight in his absence. Jumping right down to the next one, Nick, uh, first managerial ejection actually hasn't happened yet. So, it's very much still fair game. Tom said four, I said eight. Still waiting to see when that pans out. Uh, the yeah, next I- one... Uh, I'm sorry? I was, was going to say, honestly, I thought that could have happened with the Mets and Nationals series. If the Nationals kept hitting the Mets or the Mets tried to retaliate, <laughs> oh, that yeah. would have either been Buck Showalter or Davey Martinez getting the hook. And they were going at each other's throats the other night, as I alluded to, I think, earlier in the episode. If not, we talked about it before the episode, when the Nationals hit so many Mets and three times of which were, like, up high. And then the benches cleared. And the benches cleared in another game, too. The Brewers and the uh, Cubs, I believe, cleared the benches as well so uh people are getting pissed off but no managerial ejections yet so our uh, predictions could still come true but i'm gonna need mine to happen today if i want mine to come true it's actually very shocking that showalter didn't get thrown out now that you mention it go look up that clip folks he was barking at the nationals dugout the nationals players he Um, wasn't gonna get he wasn't gonna get thrown out that that was all like provoked by the nationals keep hitting the mets like that wasn't gonna happen unless they like actually started punching each other that's true, but it's MLB umpires. It really wouldn't surprise me. But staying on the Nationals, uh, the Nationals' best player, and arguably MLB's best player, proved us very wrong last week. We had a little fun with a little home run prediction. We said, is Kyle Schwarber, Kyle Higashioka, or Juan Soto going to hit a home run first? What neither of us took into account is that the Nationals play first, They play on Thursday. The Phillies and Yankees did not play until Friday. Soto took full advantage of the head start and homered off of Trevor May. So we both lost. Tom said Higgy. I said Schwarber. Kind of just a way to, you know, have some fun. So he was going to hit a home run first. But Juan Soto is just too damn good at this. The no-hitters one. 
Tom said there were going to be two no-hitters. I said three. Obviously, we haven't had any yet, albeit we could have had one. I mean, Tom put this in all bold. <laughs> Tom's prediction of the Padres nearly came through, came true twice in all caps. <laughs> yeah, I already talked about that. I could have, we actually could have had both of my no-hitters happen in back-to-back nights. Wouldn't have that have been <laughs> special? That would have been a great way to kick off the season. Then we would have been on pace for like, I don't even know how many because I don't do math that well. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, that is still a wait and see to happen. Uh, the first Ghost Runner, the instance of that, I don't know the exact numbers. I think I said opening weekend, if I'm not mistaken. Tony, I don't know what you put, but that did happen with the, um, first game between the Yankees and Red Sox that, uh, did happen. So technically, one game it took for that to happen. Uh, what was the, uh, consensus on that? So the numbers I wrote down, you said three and I said two. But I'm pretty sure we both relegated and said, hey, it's probably going to happen sometime on opening weekend. Like, there's no doubt in our minds. Okay, so, so. We'll, we'll both take a small victory for that. It's not really a victory because we got the number wrong, but it's a, it, it's a victory because we were generalizing. We already went over most impactful free agent. Again, I said Albert Pujols. Tony said Corey Seager. I was about to call him Corey for a second, but uh, Tony is not Corey. I wish I was Corey Seager. Are you kidding me? Yeah, you could be a- making... What, millions 300, of dollars? Yeah, 300 something million dollars? Come on, man. Someone to piss us off. <laughs> we put down <laughs> Manfred or Angel Hernandez, etc. We both said, I think, one game, and that happened for both of us in one way or another. So that one was a, that one was a hit immediately. And that was the first one to be checked off of our list. It was a frothy, com- for me at least, it was a frothy combination of Garrett Cole's start against the Red Sox and Mets Twitter's reaction saying, lol, haha, Cole's washed. Like, like shut the f*** up. Your ace doesn't have a right arm. You don't get yeah. to talk. And, and, <laughs> and your other ace gave up three runs to the Nationals. At least Cole gave up three runs to a playoff team. Oh, so, yeah, so eat that. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, one game it took to piss us off. And last, but most certainly not least, our, the poster child of our, of our podcast, not really, but unofficially, Nick Castellanos has not hit an untimely drive to left. I believe he has hit a home run, though. He has homered in a Phillies uniform. Uh, I'm actually going to confirm that because I don't want to be wrong again when discussing home runs. I was <laughs> wrong earlier with Hunter Green. Nick Castellanos will make you eat your words, Tony. You got to watch what you say. Uh, he, he did hit a home run. He did. Perfect. So he did hit one, but it was it was not an untimely one. So we can't count that. We both said nine. We said it was going to happen on Jackie Robinson Day. <laughs> so the the jury is still out. Oh yeah. But speaking of deep drives to left, um, <laughs> it, 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 I think we put this in the rundown perfectly. Um, That's amazing. Cue the audio. <laughs> yeah. Cue the audio. I can't tell you how much I say from the bottom of my heart. I'm so very very sorry. I pride myself and think of myself as a man of faith. As there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, it will be a home run. And so that'll make it a 4 nothing ball game. I don't know if I'm going to be putting on this headset again. Oh, yeah. We're bringing back the deep drive to left, our first one of the regular season. And if you haven't seen this, or if you haven't listened to this segment before, obviously you haven't seen it. Again, not a visual medium. This is where we pretty much take baseball's absurdity, irony, just general stupidity and shittiness, and we combine it into one segment where we talk about some of the things that just kind of look really bad, like in the Castellanos' untimely deep drive to left, hence why it's called a deep drive to left. And the first one, we were just talking about Jackie Robinson Day, Tony. 
And um, this one is more or less thrown at the Dodgers because they did have Jackie Robinson play for them uh, throughout his career. Jackie Robinson Day is coming up. And yeah, the Dodgers obviously are going to celebrate it. I believe it's the 75th anniversary of Jackie Robinson Day. And clearly you would think this could be a national broadcast. It would be perfect. 75th anniversary, a national broadcast on like ESPN or Fox. Uh, But no, that's not the case. And Tony, why is that? Well, Tom, it's because of, I believe we've had this as a deep drive to left before, or as a major, we've talked about this before when it was an idea. Now it is in practice because several Yankees and Dodgers games, you know, the, t- probably the two biggest fan bases in baseball, if not their, if not one and two, they're most certainly up there, are going to be restricted by Amazon and Apple. So if you don't have Amazon Prime or Apple TV, you're going to miss a couple Yankees and Dodgers games. Now, I'm not positive about the NFL if this has happened there, but it's happening in the NHL with ESPN+. Plus. I know there's very mixed emotions about that there, and it's most certainly causing dispersions amidst baseball's fan bases too. Uh, In particular, the reason Jackie Robinson Day is tied to this is because the game the Dodgers play on Jackie Robinson Day is restricted. I forget off the top of my head if it's Apple or Amazon that's actually blocking it, but believe it's Apple. Is it Apple? Yeah, that sounds right. Regardless of who it is, that just seems incredibly tone deaf. I mean, you're going to have every team in Major League Baseball wear Dodger blue to commemorate the 75th anniversary, but the team he played for is not even going to be able to be witnessed by a national audience because of this bull. I, every team is every team is wearing Dodger blue on the Jack Robinson Day. I, I know they all wear like 42. No, I didn't know that. No, this year they're doing it different. I think they're all going to be wearing the colors too, or at, at least in the numbers. I don't know about the uniforms themselves, but okay, I know I the about... 40. I know the 42 is going to be Dodger blue. Okay, I I didn't know that. Uh, I apologize for cutting you off. That's actually uh, cool that they're doing that. Uh, not cool that they're uh, doing this on Apple TV Plus. Go on, Tony. <laughs> no, it's absolutely not cool because not just as a Dodger fan, but as the game of baseball, why are you making this game so inaccessible? Why are you alienating a good chunk of your fan base? I mean, hey, you want to say, hey, we want to appeal to a younger audience. We want young kids and young adults to watch baseball. All right, put it somewhere more accessible because I guarantee you, I don't know many people my age who have Apple TV Plus subscriptions that are in piggybacking either like they're chipping in with friends or they're doing it through their parents' account. No like one me. our age has that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Almost no one our age has that account. And now you're putting baseball games there? Th- that just seems like it's going to alienate people even more. And this is a fan base that's been poisoned by the well of MLB blackout restrictions. Well, that that's every fan base, Tony. But, um... Before I, uh, I'm not even going to go into blackout restrictions. That's a deep drive to left that we can do every single week. But, um, I mean, the only reason I'll just say it, I have Apple TV Plus is again, my parents have it. We have an Apple TV device, like the uh, box uh, set up that we can hook all of our apps up to. I'm pretty sure if we didn't have that, there's no chance in hell we'd even have Apple TV Plus. Frankly, I don't even think we're paying for it. I think we just have a free subscription that we got with the box for like a year. I think that's literally the only reason that we have Apple TV Plus to begin with. Um, Amazon Prime, I do have that as well. I think that came because we have Amazon Prime, like the shipping service to my house, uh, because there's 
quite a bit of stuff that comes through Amazon here at the Bauer household. Uh, so I think it came in with that. Again, I don't think we would use it if we uh, didn't have that service to begin with because everything is through the internet these days. But uh, you were hitting the nail on the coffin there, Tony. Like, why are you restricting your content through paywalls and all that? We already have to do it with MLB TV because of these asinine blackouts. And even then, we can't watch every single game of the season. Like, and then there's the argument, well, you could get cable to, like, watch other games. Well, yeah, that's true. But, like, let's use, I don't know, let's use the Yes Network, for example. They have, uh, the because we have the Yankees on the rundown, can watch Yankee games through there. However, you need a cable subscription. I can guarantee you cable subscriptions are plummeting across America for ever since the rise of streaming. I know about it because I did a project on it for a final project in uh, one of my classes in college not too long ago. So, yeah, everybody's, like, moving to streaming nowadays in one way or another. It's already bad enough that we have, like, ten different services taking our time and money away to determine what content we can watch and have it only restricted one way or another. So it, it's just a terrible way of business in my books. It should be more accessible to everybody, kind of like NFL Red Zone, where you can throw on, like, all the games at one time and then it switches to the one game. And I don't, I don't know if there's blackout restrictions with that because I've never had it, but my sister's watching and she says she's it's a great service and she's not even a big football fan. But that just so happens to be the case. Now, we were talking about the Yankees, and there's something brief that we want to talk about about the Yankees, specifically on opening day, because there was a little crybaby, uh, it turns out, on the mound. I hate using that word to describe my ace, Garrett Cole, but, I mean, he kind of was a little... He, he was off on opening day, and here's his reason for it. And, Tony, I will let you say that reason. So... I hate to I hate to bring this up after I just defended my ace from the horde of Mets haters on Twitter, but you gotta call people out when they act like excuse-making bitches, to be quite frank. The Yankees had some opening day festivities going on Friday, you know, just to commemorate opening day. Billy Crystal threw out the first pitch. The first pitch was scheduled for you know, like 108 or something like that, 107, some arbitrary time like that. But the festivities ran a little long, and the game actually started at 111. Garrett Cole, after giving up three runs in the first inning, in the postgame, said that because the festivities ran long, and because the game started four minutes later, he was thrown off his rhythm. Now, <laughs> in his defense, there are guys in the league, or at least that used to be in the league, like CeCe Sabathia, who would say a pitcher's pregame regiment is sacred. You become like a robot with that routine. If, if that isn't done to a T, you're not the same pitcher. But I feel like an implosion like that has a little more to do with you facing a good Red Sox lineup and you having no control in the first inning compared to Billy Crystal throwing out a ceremonial first pitch. Like, the way this, the way he worded it, it sounded exactly like his excuse-making tone of voice when he said you know during the sticky stuff scandal last year you know oh man it's just so hard to grip the ball i can't do like like if you're gonna have a bad start against the red sox own up to it at least a little bit like don't just hide under the blanket of oh the game started four minutes later i couldn't pitch as good pedro martinez came out of the bullpen in 1999 and no hit the red sox with a broken arm guys have come out of rain delays and thrown perfect games or not perfect in the term but like amazing games you're really gonna take the fall for this over four minutes 
grow up. I'm sorry, but grow up. Especially because he's had a, hist a bad track record of pitching against the Red Sox. Also, too, now that you bring that up. Because if you don't remember in the postseason, he did terrible in their wild card uh, game. He gave up so many runs, it was pretty much one of the sole... Well, there was pretty much two sole reasons. Three sole reasons that the Yankees lost that game. One, Phil Nevin, <laughs> who's no longer with the team. Two, Garrett Cole pitching like ass. And three, the Yankees hitting like ass. Except for John Carlos Stanton and I think somebody else, but I forget who it was. <laughs> And um, four, the green monster that robbed Stanton of like three home runs, but continue. <laughs> that that did happen as well. I also find it funny that the the Yankees put out, they put out an opening day hype video that said no more excuses. And then this is the first thing that happens <laughs> in Yankees lore. <laughs> so. <laughs> I didn't even see that. That's great. <laughs> So if there's any more of a reason to include this in the deep drive to left segment, it's for that, because that did not last long. I think that made it onto unfortunate events that proceed in baseball history on Twitter. I know I'm getting the account wrong, but if you follow baseball Twitter, you know exactly which one I'm talking about. Uh, we've got one more thing to go over in this deep drive to left, and we're staying in the AL East because we're talking about the Rays' cheapness and mediocrity. No, we're not calling them—well, we've called them a poverty franchise already this episode, but— um. We're not going into the necessarily poverty franchise route, although you could argue that that's the case, especially with at least two of these things, you can argue. So there were three things that happened to the Rays on op four things that happened to the Rays on opening day weekend. One, they went undefeated, so good for them. All this stuff really doesn't matter, but this is hilarious. The next three are. Number two, they said that they had a sold-out stadium on opening day. And yet, you could see in at least one clear shot on a picture on Twitter <laughs> that they did not even open Section 300, the nosebleeds, at Tropicana Field. Only, like, 200 and lower were sold out. So, that, good job. Put that put that up in Tropicana Field. We sold out Section 200 on opening day, 2022. Whoop-de-doo. Good job, Tampa. Number two, G-Man Choi. His team album that was on his helmet... It looked like that was, like, a small, like, really thin strip of paper because it was coming off of his helmet on the right and left sides. It looked like if, like, a fly flew on it and he flew right off of it, the residual weight of the fly or the very little wind that that fly would make would pull it off the helmet. I don't think it ever fell off, but uh, that's pretty funny. Although, that one's not nearly as significant as number one. And number three, which is the Ray's ugly nightmare fuel-inducing abomination of a Ray. That is the mascot that was at Tropicana Field. Now, I did read somewhere that I think it's for, like, some aquarium in Tampa Bay, but this Ray has been apparently attending Ray's games since, like, 2009 or something like that. But that didn't stop people from absolutely tearing this thing apart on Twitter, so... <laughs> You got one, two, and three, Tony. I'll let you uh, break this down a little bit more. Okay, so number one, the running joke of the Rays not being able to sell out their stadium has been basically ingrained in baseball immortality for a while now. And this, I think, cements it. <laughs> this is, the, to me, the perfect example of a paper championship, like a, a hollow championship. Oh, guys, we sold out the arena. Just don't look up. Don't look at the seats that we would never be able to sell anyway. It again speaks to the fact that the Rays need to move desperately, hopefully to Tampa, because if you didn't know, they're actually located 
quite a bit away from Tampa, across a few bridges, but that's not important. Just like the Rays' attendance figures, yeah, they're not important. We could just boast a sold-out game when we're clearly not sold out. Uh, oh, and I hate to tell you, Tampa Bay, that wouldn't be a sellout in Montreal either. Number two, the G-Man Choi thing. I just find that hilarious because it looks like one of those play stickers that, as a kid, you can get at like a Toys R Us. Just slapped on the helmet and it's the team's official logo. I, I think I saw it on John Boy, John Boy Media's Twitter at first. And I couldn't believe it when I saw it. I thought it was a joke. Like, this, this organization is so cheap, so poor or at least in the way they spend their money, they're obviously not poor, they just choose not to spend it, that hel the helmets look like that. It could not have happened to a better franchise. And number three, uh, oh my god. Folks, if you've not seen this mascot, and you're not scared of uh, aquatic life, please go look at it. It will send... Oh my god, it'll either give you nightmares, make you laugh, or both. So... Trust me, it's been compared to some very vulgar things on Twitter, things that we're not going to repeat on this podcast. But <laughs> people have said for years, like, the Rays mascot, I believe, is a walrus named Raymond, for an obvious reason. Don't ask me how I know that, Tom. I saw your face, like, recoil, like, what the f Why a walrus? They're the Rays. Why do they need a <laughs> walrus? I mean, obviously, this isn't anything better than Raymond the walrus, so, I mean, that's probably... <laughs> this might be a good reason why they don't have a Ray as their mascot, because it would look as ugly as this one did. That's literally the reason I was gonna say. People always ask, why is it a walrus? Well, look at the Ray. Look at how ugly they made this thing look. It's horrifying. Mother of God. Like, this thing's just straight up hard to look at. I don't know how they let that thing go anywhere. An aquarium, a baseball stadium, I don't care. Whoever greenlit that needs their head checked. Oy vey. All right, so we're about to wrap up this episode of the Diamond Duo Podcast, episode 22. Uh, before we do, I did want to give a shout-out to Japanese pitching sensation Roki Sasaki. A perfect game in Japan, which might very well be the best-pitched game in Japan's, I believe, the um, Nippon Baseball League. I forget their league is exactly called, but the Japanese Pro League's history. The 20-year-old, he had an 18-year-old catcher with him through a full uh, known perfect game through nine innings. At one point, he struck out 13 batters in a row, which is impressive. That's a NBP record. record. Also would have been an MLB record, which is 11 strikeouts in a row this dude threw 13 in a row the 20 year old sensation hopefully he will make it to the pros aka the mlb sometime in the near future and hopefully it's the new york yankees because i would not want to face him because i've looked at his stuff on pitching ninjas uh twitter feed and it is devastating but before we go tony would you like to say anything about roki sasaki or anything to close out your thoughts on opening day weekend Absolutely major credit to Sasaki. I didn't get a chance to actually look at some of the highlights that you were talking about, Tom, from Pitching Ninja, but I definitely will now. I saw the 19 strikeout figure and my eyes almost popped out of my skull. Like, are you kidding me? It's a big deal when Randy Johnson hit 20. You do that in a perfect game, you're enshrined to greatness forever, so massive props to him. But other than that, I think I've said everything I wanted to say, so... Enjoy the next week in baseball, folks. Uh, we got some teams to look out for, some teams to point and laugh at, like we all do. We always do, rather. But yeah, have a good rest of your week, and we'll see you next week. Tom, take it away. Yes, Tony, I will. So, again, thank you so much for tuning in to episode 22 of the Diamond Duo podcast, the opening day weekend celebration. 
We are certainly going to be covering the MLB season throughout, hopefully its entirety. We're, again, back on a weekly schedule. If you didn't notice, if you're coming back from the offseason, again, we're doing weekly. We're not going to release bi-weekly now. Weekly MLB talks. Will it be this much in depth? Probably not, because we might not have as much news to go on throughout the rest of the way. But regardless, we're going to be happy to talk about whatever is thrown our way regarding the MLB or baseball in general. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Follow us on social media, the Diamond Duo Podcast on Instagram, at Diamond Duo Pod on Twitter. We will see you next time. Take care.